0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, good morning, Venture. It's great to see everybody. Uh, it's great to see it, it, as Brooklyn and Charles pointed out, it is getting crowded on Sunday morning here. We're thankful for that, even more so second service, uh, even more full with it. And we're launching a third service, And I know even as we say that, we've debated, we've looked at his staff, I've talked to some of you, some of you really lobbying hard for Sunday night, some with another service on Sunday morning or or the time with it. Um, Really, as we prayed through it, looked at it, you know, a number of factors with it. The key determining factor for us of why we chose Sunday to launch this service and Sunday evening was because of the other vision and ministry that we're doing on this campus on Saturday and the vision we have for the future with it especially the things we wanna do to reach our community and the ways that we invite them on the campus, whether it's festivals, whether it's events, whether it's other ministries. The other thing about a Saturday service, it, it severely cuts back your ability to ever do weddings or even funerals or many of the other core church events. And so as we balanced out those things, and we also put into it staff health, uh, especially staff that have families that wanna have at least one day out of the week when their kids are home from school that they can connect with it. We we factored all those things in, and we really believe this Sunday evening at four o'clock, it's a great time to be able to come. You can have the full weekend and come at four o'clock. And then the post-service community time we really wanna invest in that because we feel like as a church, we just need more hangout time together. We, we feel like it needs to be more than just coming to a campus and you go to a service, and then try to get to your car to be able to come to a service and then stop and have a meal and the kids are playing and you get some connection and maybe be a life group together. And I, for one have really been pushing hard that Sunday night football needs to be a part of that activity because we have to have our priorities straight here, folks. Okay. <laughs> And and in all of this, just a time to be able to connect together and then end early enough that somebody that's got to make the turn, if it's a family with Monday morning coming, we can make that turn in preparation for the rest of the week. We'll let you know more about this. It's coming September 24th. Would love for you to be a part, love for you to come check it out and talk to somebody that you know, because there's some people that, man, Sunday morning doesn't work for them. Maybe this service would be the perfect time for that. Hey, there's so much going on. This is the time of year you got to pay attention. Make sure you're online. You're looking at what's going on out there. And today we're going to finish out the book of James. I know some of you are like, yeah, we've been in it for a while, but I think it's been a worthy study because it's just so direct to the issues in our life. And, and as we start this last message in James, I just need to start with maybe a confession of my own. I really do some dumb things sometimes on a more consistent basis than maybe I like to admit. I'll give you a prime example. This week, Monday morning, I was scheduled for a really early flight, 5.30 flight, 5.30 AM to fly down to Phoenix. I had to get one of my children home, it was there in summer school and so needed to get a car. So I had an early flight It was Southwest, so I checked in the day before, 5.30 a.m. My gracious wife said, yeah, I'll drive you to the airport because I told her it's 5.30 a.m. in Oakland. Yeah, now you're like, ooh. So you got to be there at 4.30. So you get up at 3.30. So we do all that, get up, she graciously, we're driving. She takes me to Oakland, 4.30, she drops me off. I, you know, I'd already checked in online. I'm not taking any bags or anything. I'm just trying to go through security. And I show them and, and the lady's like, gate B12, there is no B12 at this airport. And I'm like, what, what are you talking about? And then I looked down, I told you I'd do dumb things. I was at the wrong airport. Yeah, it wasn't Oakland, it was SFO. So my gracious wife, who's dropped me off and now driving, I've got this debate. Do I just Uber somewhere and not tell anyone about this? Or now do I have to just call and uh, declare how dumb? And I call her and I say, hey, you you gotta come right back. Of course, she's about 10 minutes away. She's like, what do you mean I gotta come back? I'm at the wrong airport. And then she asked, how could you be at the wrong airport? Which there's only one answer to that question. You married an idiot. That's how I could be at the wrong airport. She turns around, comes back and picks me up and then I'm looking, can I catch the flight? It's too late to catch it from SFO. And fortunately I was able to find a flight pretty quickly at San Jose and Southwest, switch it pretty quick and catch a flight a little less than an hour later. And I'm out of there. No major loss, little money in the process with it. And the uh, ego that comes with realizing that was really dumb. Now, unfortunately, that's not a rare, rare occurrence for me. But as I was thinking about it this week, and and I mean this unequivocally, I can tell you the dumbest thing I do. The dumbest thing I do is I don't pray enough. Now, as I say that, I'm not saying I don't pray at all. I pray every day. It's part of my daily Bible reading. Prayer is a part of that. But I'm telling you, the more I study prayer, the more I look at what the Bible promises about prayer, the more I've experienced in my own life through prayer, the more I realize the access we have in prayer with that the God of this universe actually gives us an audience, actually is moved through our prayers. The opportunity we have through prayer to not pray more Is literally the dumbest thing I do. Now, I'm gonna just reason I might not be alone in that. And that's why I love this final passage we have in James. And I love that it comes from James. Because it's not just what he wrote, it's what he practiced. Eusebius, the church father tells us that James had a nickname in the church. His nickname was Camel Knees. You ever seen a camel? You know, those camels got those knotty knees with that. That's what they called James. And the reason they did, the reason his knees looked like that is he spent so much time on his knees in prayer that that became his nickname with it. As we look at this final section of James, we want to look at it because he's going to give us some categories of prayer. And I want to use it to kind of just teach through some, it's not an exhaustive list of categories of prayer, but these are core categories of prayer that we should know. And and he's going to teach some specific parts of it. And and we're going to look at that, those categories, this practice of prayer, and then finish out where he just calls us to the power of prayer and why we should take advantage of it. And so if you look at it in your notes there, the first category of prayer you'll you'll see is personal prayer. Personal prayer. He just calls us to your personal prayer life that he practiced all the time. And so as he, he looks at it, he says in James 5:13, Is anyone among you suffering? What's your response? Let him pray. Pray. And then he flips it around. If is anyone cheerful, let him sing praise. I mean, he puts both of them in that equation. And what he's telling us is that regardless of the circumstance, our response should always be directed to God. Regardless of what you're going through, regardless of whether you walked in here today and you were at your lowest moment, he says, hey, let me tell you what your response should always be, make it toward God. If you walked in today and life couldn't be better for you, you know what he says your response is? Man, turn it toward God. And you do that through praise. And, and so when life is hard, pray. When life is good, praise. And, and notice in this, he puts praise in there because our singing is actually a form of prayer. When we come here, we don't sing because we, man, we love these songs and man, the worship team's awesome. And oh yeah, that's one of my favorites. It gets me in a good mood, gets me ready to hear the sermon. That's not what our singing is. Our singing is actually a form of corporate prayer that we do together. And, And it's our way of expressing to God truths about God. Sometimes we sing directly to God in prayer with that. And so he's telling us no matter what you're going through, no matter where you are in life, no matter what you feel, it's in that moment that we pray. I I love how Spurgeon puts it. He, He says, we should pray when we are in a praying mood for it would be sinful to neglect so fair an opportunity. He says, we should pray when we're not in a praying mood because it would be dangerous to remain in so unhealthy a condition. He says, no matter what you're facing, you want to pray. And as Christians, we should have an attitude of God consciousness all the time. One writer put it this way, I I like that. So when you see this verse in 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstance for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. A lot of people are always asking, what is the will of God for my life? Paul says, I can tell you one thing that is unequivocally the will of God for your life, this that you're rejoicing no matter what you face, that you're praying without ceasing. And what he's talking about is, it's not that all the time you can have your head bowed and and you're in prayer like that, that's a private prayer time. That's a personal prayer time. Sometimes we do that as a group. This thought of praying without ceasing is, I have a God consciousness all the time, that all the time during the day, no matter what I'm facing, I'm recognizing God's with me. God's here, God's in this, God's in control. God cares. I can turn to God. I can ask God. I can rely on God. I can lean on God. Paul says, the more as a believer, you develop that consciousness that God is not a distant God who's kind of set you out there and he hopes you figure out how to do it. He's a God who intimately wants to do life with all of us. And so praying without ceasing is that inviting him in no matter what I'm facing. And and in that, the two extremes, I love that James puts it, whether it's suffering or whether it's good times, it's always time to turn to God. He's my go-to in every circumstance. H.B. Charles, he's a a great preacher. And he talked about in the service when they they would have service and they'd have prayer time. There was one woman every week that she would stand up and say the exact same prayer. She would stand up in prayer and all she would pray is, oh dear Lord, thank you, Jesus. I mean, she she said it so consistent. He said, sometimes the young people in the service, as soon as she would stand up, they'd kind of giggle because they know what was coming. Oh dear Lord, thank you, Jesus. Finally, somebody asked her, they said, why do you always pray that? And she said, actually, I'm just combining the two prayers I pray all the time. She said, I'm a single mom, I live in a tough neighborhood. And sometimes at night, you can hear the bullets. And I'll grab my baby daughter and we lay on the floor and I just cry out, oh dear Lord. And when morning comes, When I see that morning light, I always say, thank you, Jesus. So every day when I put her on the bus and I don't know what she's gonna face and she's headed off, I always pray, oh dear Lord. And when she comes home every night and I hold her in my arms, she said, I always follow up with, thank you, Jesus. So she just said on Sunday morning, I just combine both of them. It's my way of recognizing God's in control and how much I'm thankful for what he's doing in my life. I don't know where you are today. Some of you, you're on the, oh dear Lord side of the equation right now. And you need to pray and call out to him. Some of you, you're on the thank you Jesus side of the equation because he's been so good to you. You need to praise him and make that a constant part of your life. And for many of us, every day is an, oh dear Lord, thank you, Jesus, day, (laughs) Because we're living in the circumstances. And and James' admonition is, he says, always make God a part of that. Just make it a constant part of your life that you're turning toward him, no matter what you face. He's got the second category of intercessory prayer. He doesn't call it that, but I'm just teaching you this term, intercessory prayer. And this may be a new term for some of you if you've never been around church with with that. Intercessory prayer, it's based on the term interceding. And, And what it is, is intercessory prayer is the act of praying for others. So when you pray for someone else, you're interceding. You're putting yourself there in a place where you're asking God to work on their behalf. Now, the great news for us, is, as if you're a Christian, this is something that Jesus is doing for you even right now. One of, the, one of the things I love, the ministry of Jesus, he intercedes, he prays for us. Look how it puts it in Romans eight thirty-four. It says, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. And so Paul's talking about our biggest problem is sin. Our biggest problem in life is sin. And all of us could be condemned by it. In fact, he said, who is the one who's got the right ability to condemn us? It's actually Jesus. He's the only one that lived a perfect life here. But instead, he's the one who died. And more than that, he's the one who raised. He did what we couldn't do for our sin. And then I love this, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. I love that Paul says, hey, let me tell you about the biggest problem in your life, it's sin. But you know what Jesus did? Jesus died for your sin and he rose for your sin. And he's actually right now before the throne of God interceding, praying for you, praying for me. It's it's the beauty of being a Christian, of being in Christ is that I am covered by Christ's work on the cross. And I am prayed for right now by Christ before the throne of God. So when Satan condemns me, when my own thoughts condemn me, when, when, when I, I, everything and that, that pile of guilt and shame that he wants you to live under, here's what I want you to know. The person who is praying for you, the person representing you before the father, when all of those sins are pointed out, you know what Jesus says in that moment? He says to the father, oh, I paid for those. She's covered. He's covered. And the father sees us through the blood of Christ. And so we're not condemned because of Jesus. Jesus is interceding for us. Now we have the opportunity to intercede for others. Paul in in Ephesians chapter six, when he writes about spiritual warfare, notice how he ends it. He, says, he tells us, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. So he's going through, there's these different categories of prayers. There's different ways. There's, there's personal prayers. There's intercessory prayers. We'll see other prayers. He says, you need to do all those prayers with this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. So there's a command. We're called to pray for other people. We're called to lift up their request with this. And then Paul says, hey, would you pray also for me? that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I'm an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should." And I, I love that Paul says, hey, as you're praying, pray for me. Now notice, he's praying from, he's asking for prayer from prison. He says, I'm, I'm an ambassador in chains. I'm, I'm literally in prison because of the gospel. But look what he asked them to pray for. Does he say, pray for me that I can get out of this prison. I don't deserve to be here. Pray for me. These chains are starting to hurt. Now look what he says. Pray for me that I can fearlessly proclaim the gospel. Pray that I won't shy back from it. Pray that I'll have the power to share what God's given me in that. And so so he gives us this this picture, this command, first of all, we should be on a regular basis praying for other people. We should have our, our prayer list and we should have people that God's placed on our heart and people that we know about it and that we actually, when someone tells us a request and they say, hey, yeah, this is going on and we say these words to them, I'll pray for you. We actually pray for them. We we go and we write it down. We make it part of our day. We pray and we pray for ministry. And I would ask you, would you pray for your church? Would you pray for your pastors? But would you pray like Paul's asking that we would have the power that the gospel would go out from this community, that God would give us the ability to reach people in the Bay Area who do not know Jesus, who desperately need him. Pray for your church. Pray for the power of the gospel to go out. Pray and intercede in that. It is a core part of what God's called us to do. Now in James, he's going to give us a distinct prayer, a distinct kind of intercessory prayer. In this next session, he, he's going to, there's a special category of intercessory prayer for those who are particularly ill. And so, so he writes with it. And I'll just say in advance, this is one of the most difficult verses for commentators in the Bible set of verses and just kind of weaving through. And the problem with it is, we don't have a lot of other verses that speak to this. We've got a lot of verses on prayer, but on this kind of particular prayer, James, from what you can see, is the only one that kind of speaks to it. A lot of times, anytime you want to interpret in the Bible, you want to look what the Bible says. We have parts of the Bible that help shape our thinking. But if you look at this, this intercessory prayer in James with the elders, he says, is any among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. And there's a couple of things in here that you kind of go, hmm, what, what exactly is James saying? Let me walk you through this because it is a, a more difficult passage. Make sure that we're clear. He says, is any among you sick? And, and this sickness that he's talking about here, if you look at the term, it, it's talking about a debilitating sickness. Uh, in fact, it, it looks in the passage like when it says "pray over them," maybe they're gathered around a bed, someone who's on a sick bed, someone who's facing something hard. It can be physical. It also could be mental or emotional, maybe a debilitating depression. And there's not a hard rule on it, but, but the point of it is, this isn't like you know somebody's got you know I got got the sniffles. I think I'll call the elders. No, it's going. Hey, there's something serious going on that this person is faced. Now notice what it says, let him call for the elders of the church. So the person who is sick is the one who calls for this prayer. And I think this is important because this whole passage is about faith. It's it's about expressing faith and looking to God through faith and looking to the church through that. And so uh, James puts it that the person who's sick, they're the ones who call for this prayer because part of that is their act of faith. And this has been debilitating. Man, my faith is wavering. I need the prayer, I need the leadership of the church in that. And, and I, I say that because sometimes it, it, I've, I've had people and they've gone either through a sickness or time and, and they'll approach and they'll kind of almost be upset and they'll go, man, the elders never came. The church never came. And I'll ask them at times, did you ever ask for it? Now one, on a practical level, we don't always know But two, on a biblical level, there's this place where where James is saying, I'm going to put it on the person that by faith you're asking for this prayer. Now, they say the elders of the church. Why the elders of the church? The elders of the church are spiritually mature shepherds. Uh, We we read in 1 Peter that the elders are called to be the under shepherds under Jesus. And so in an elder group, there's a lot of responsibilities that elders carry. There's an oversight responsibility, a leadership responsibility. We see those things a lot of times. There's also a core shepherding responsibility. And, and with this prayer, this, those who have been recognized as elders, those who are spiritual shepherds and leaders. Now, I, I think in this circumstance, it's not just confined to those who are actively serving on the board at that time. I think any who have served as spiritual shepherds or elders in the past can also be a part of that. And that's been part of our practice here. We not only have elders who, who are part of these kind of prayer groups, but we have former elders who've been a part because they're spiritually mature leaders who can be a part in that. And so these leaders are called and he says, come and pray over them, anointing them with oil in the name of the Lord. And so you go, what, what's up with the oil? And there's commentators and questions around that. Now the Roman Catholic Church has used this passage to, to create the doctrine of extreme unction, the, the final anointing of that with that. We don't believe that. And in fact, they do that before someone's dying. James is actually doing this so someone could be raised up again. And so I don't think that passage supports this. As you look at the oil, there's nothing magical about the oil in of itself. He doesn't even prescribe what kind of oil. It's been done olive oil or mineral oil. In fact, a couple of different things on the interpretation around this, the oil could be either symbolic, it's a symbol of this act of faith with it. It also could be, especially in that time period, it was medicinal. Um, you read through scripture a lot of times when someone was injured, they were anointed with oil. Oil was a medicinal use at that time. I think it's, it's both actually, I think it's both symbolic and there's a medicinal. And I think it's a great way of pointing out with this that praying in faith doesn't mean that we're against medicine. We never come and, oh, we're gonna pray over something Since we're praying out of faith, you don't need to see a doctor. You don't need to get medicine. Guys, scripture never teaches that. I hear me, I think all medicine is a gift from a healing God who's given us the ability to discover more about the body and given us the ability to have medicine. And so you always wanna put these two hand in hand. When you say, oh, don't go see a doctor, we're just gonna pray this way. You're saying in that moment, I'm declaring how God must heal you as opposed to, putting yourself before the sovereignty of God and going, God, I don't care if you choose to heal miraculously in this moment, if you choose to heal through surgery, if you choose to heal through medicine, we are praying and looking to you. And so the elders come and they anoint with oil as the symbol of faith, but also recognizing it's always in partnership with what we've discovered through medicine. And so we trust in that. Now, here's where we get to the really hard part of it. Look look at this line. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. This is where it gets difficult. James would have so helped us if he just used the word may. Prayer of faith may save the one who's sick, may raise them up, but he doesn't. He doesn't. And so commentators kind of have gone in two different camps on this. You've got some, or there's two extremes that you can see, and then there's some in the middle. That the one extreme, and, and again, it's people I respect. I mean, John Calvin was very staunch that this verse only applied to the New Testament and the apostolic age. He said, there was distinct miracles of that time that we don't have in this time. And so he's writing to the apostles and, and that. I, I like Calvin. He's smarter than me. And, and I agree with him on a, a lot of things, not on this. There's nothing in this passage that says it's limited to that time period. I think James would give some indicator to us with that. Flip side of it are those who would use this passage. And, and you kind of hear it with faith healers. That if you have enough faith and all as long as you have enough faith, then the person has to be saved and they will be raised up. And so they kind of, they put it. And then when the person is not healed, then, oh, I guess they didn't have enough faith, which is just awful. It's awful teaching folks, because here's what you do. These poor people who desperately need healing and they've come to someone out of desperation. And then if it doesn't work, they've got to walk away, not only not healed, but told they didn't have enough faith in the process. That is not what James is teaching, okay? I mean, if anything, here's the one thing that you notice. The people praying in the passage is not the person who's sick. It's the elders, it's the leaders. So if there's a breakdown in faith, it was a breakdown in the leadership. So a faith healer who tells someone that they didn't get healed because they didn't have enough faith, you can look at them and say, well, then you're the one that didn't have enough faith because you were supposed to have it for them. Here's what the passage, I think is. we walk through this, we go, okay, how do we find the balance in that? On one side of it, I don't wanna take a passage that makes us uncomfortable and just go, well, that was just apostolic time and we don't deal with it now. I I, I think that is kind of a cop out. The flip side of it, we need to recognize that, and I've been there, I've prayed over people and not everyone is healed on this side of eternity. And I say that because I recognize that the greatest healing to come will be in eternity for all of us. Emotionally, physically, spiritually, when we're in the presence of Jesus. But this side of eternity, even in scripture, there's places where they pray and God says no. Paul said he left his friend Trophimus that was traveling with him, his partner. He he writes Timothy, he says, Trophimus couldn't come with me because he was so sick. And obviously Paul prayed over him, but he had to leave him because he was still sick. Epaphroditus was almost sick unto death. Paul, three times, Paul prayed that he would be healed of this thorn in the flesh. And three times God said, no that I've got a different plan for you with this thorn in the flesh, Paul. So you can't just relegate it to, oh, if someone just had enough faith. Guys, I think Paul had as much faith as anybody walking the planet. And God said no at times. So how do we balance this? this the prayer of faith will save, because he makes a definite case with this. And, and uh, the writer that I really helped me probably the most in it is John Piper. And I like Piper has an honesty about him that he, he doesn't wanna be scared of the miraculous of, hey, when God does these things, we need to be open to what he's doing in it, but let's approach this in a very reasonable way. And, and Piper came to, and I think it is the case, I think both this prayer of faith is a very distinct kind of prayer. I think it's a prayer of faith that God gives to elders in that moment. And he doesn't always give it every time they come. I think both the prayer of faith and the healing that always comes from it, both of them are a gift from God, a supernatural a miraculous gift from God in prayer. And as elders, as pastors, we don't have the ability to control him. We can't like do it the right way. If we do it just the right way, this is gonna be the time we get the prayer of faith and it's healing. We have to come by faith and humility and pray by faith every time, trusting that God, you have a sovereign purpose and plan. But we are asking in this moment to the point we are anointing in this moment, we are praying in this moment that you would give us this prayer of faith that leads to a healing that comes out of it. And I'm telling you, you may be here a little skeptical. There are stories and stories and stories of so many who were healed out of times like that. And it's not this big production you see, it's not done on a stage. It's just where God shows up through that prayer of faith and the healing that comes. There's stories and stories and stories of people who prayed in faith and God then chose to heal them medically. And I give him no less praise for that. And there are stories where we pray and God has chosen that in His sovereignty, He has another plan. And we don't understand, but He's still glorified through it. But we never stop praying. Because this is one of those passages, it's, it's kind of a, those mystery passages where as a pastor, for, as elders, as leaders, all of us, we kind of have to come open-handed and go, God, I don't exactly know how you do this here. In fact, we wrestle with how to understand and apply this here. But we come to you in faith because we know that you are powerful and we trust that you are good. And we trust you to apply this and to pray. And so we do this as elders. If if you know someone and and there's a sickness, they're called in that. And notice this last part here, when they're called, if they've committed sins, they'll be forgiven. It's not that the elders have the power to forgive sins. What's going on in that part of the passage is, is there is a place for the person to examine themselves. Am I sick because of my sin? And this isn't the case for most people. You look through scripture, there's many people that they're sick because they live in a fallen world, not because of their sin. But there is a category in scripture, and sometimes we don't talk about this enough, where God takes sin seriously. In fact, Paul warns us when you're taking communion, Look how he puts it. He says, before you ever take communion, you ought to examine yourself before you eat the bread and drink the cup. For those who eat the drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. That's the term for death for Christians. And so so Paul says, hey, before you just kind of casually take communion, Before you just assume, oh yeah, I'm going to worship Jesus. I'm good with God. There's a place to examine your heart and life. And hear me, he's not saying you have to be perfect. But he is saying you have to be real. And so you own it and you confess it. And God can use sickness to get our attention in that. And so sometimes even in that intercessory prayer, there's a place of coming in faith and going, hey God, will you show me, is this sickness caused by something in my life? Now hear me, it won't be a mystery. I, I've talked to people at times and they're, they're struggling with cancer or illness and in faith they come and they go, man, I've, I've searched my heart, I just can't find the sin with it. And, and I always tell them that it's not based on sin. God's not going to hide it from you. It's not a mystery. If it's due to sin in your life, you'll know what it is. If you don't know what it is, then it's probably due to the fact that you're either facing suffering or you're going through a time of testing or you live in a fallen world. So don't live under the guilt of hidden sin you can't find because we don't serve a God who does that to us. He's always very clear to us. But there is a place that you look at it and go, am I dealing with this? Which leads us to the next section is confessional prayer. Confessional prayer that we always wanna confess our sins to God because we know he always forgives. He always forgives. First John 1, 9 says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He loves to forgive. That's his character. But James points out, we also experience great healing when we confess to trusted, mature friends. Notice he followed this section with the elders and immediately goes, hey, there's another form of prayer here. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Confess to trusted, mature friends. This doesn't mean that you've Come to everyone you meet, you walk into the church and you share your worst sins. This doesn't mean that you just share it easily and freely because I know some of you have been hurt in the past with it. But this does mean there is great power and healing of having a few people in your life who know you, that you can talk about what's really going on that you can share. That's one of the reasons here at Venture, we always wanna take what is a big church experience and try to make it smaller. You need people in your life. That's why we call you to be in a life group. Right now we're, we're calling people to sign up for life group. One of the core things about life group, you need to be in a life group. You know why? Because you need people in your life. They know enough going on. They know how to intercede for you. They know how to pray for you. You need to be in a life group so that you know people well enough that there may be one or two in that group that man, when you're really struggling, maybe it's a sin that you're struggling with. Maybe it's something that you're having a hard time in your life. You can pull them aside and you can talk to them and you can actually confess to them and feel the healing that comes. out, of, out of, Instead of living in the shame and in the dark of it, I like this one line that that one writer said when it came to confessional prayer, Duncan Campbell says, do not expect God to cover what you're not willing to uncover. Don't live in this, oh man, God's gonna cover everything if you're not willing to be honest and open and live in the light of that. There's one last category, if you jump down, I, I call it prodigal prayer. I call it prodigal prayer. And I use that term from Jesus's story about the prodigal son. There's a story of the the son who left his father. prodigal means he wandered away. He, He lived a sinful life and comes back again in this. And we often will use that term of somebody, maybe they grew up in the church, they were part of it, and then they just start walking away. And we'll often say that they're like the prodigal with this. Look at the end of the chapter, he says, my brothers, if any among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. There's this powerful admonition that he ends the chapter on. And as you look at this, look at the two things. When we see someone drifting, that word wander, they used it for the planets. Uh, For them, many, they thought the planets looked like they're wandering across the sky. So when you see someone drifting, we should love them enough to intervene. When you see someone, and and there's two ways that I see people drift. They either drift in their belief or they drift in their behavior. And they're usually linked together actually. And so maybe you know someone and they're drifting and you look at their belief system and and they're kind of going, well, I don't know. Can we really even trust the Bible? I mean, do we, do we really need to, you know, take it down to the level they, they start having those kind of, I mean, we see it happening all the time, kind of deconstructing is what we call it today. James said, it's wandering, it's drifting. And we should actually care enough to actually step in and go, hey, whoa, you're getting off course here. Man, let's talk about this. I love you too much to just let you drift away. And we actually speak into it. We've reached a day and age where we're so scared to death about disagreeing with anybody, you can't ever kind of let them have their own belief system that even in the church at times, we'll let people just drift and drift and drift without ever just loving them enough to speak up and go, hey, we got to talk about this. This drifting in your belief or you're drifting in your behavior. And this does not match what scripture says. And I love you too much to just let you drift away. I'd say this as well, and this is what I'd say, especially to parents, that maybe you have a child, an adult child that was raised in the faith and you look at them and you go, man, they have gone a different journey. And my encouragement to you would just be, when we love someone who has drifted, never stop praying for them, never stop praying you might not have the ability, especially as parent, to be able to speak into it anymore. You've said your peace with it. They know where you stand. You've been clear with them, but you've reached the point that if I keep bringing up the same conversation over, I'm gonna have no relationship with them. You're gonna have to trust that God's gonna bring other voices in their life. Trust that God brings other voices. Where he gives you an opportunity, certainly speak in. But hear me, don't stop praying. Don't stop praying every day. Don't stop praying that the truth that was invested in their life, that God keeps bringing it up. And sometimes when they start acting it out against it the most, what they're angry at is not really you, it's the Holy Spirit who keeps convicting them. And you pray that much more that God brings them back. And I'm just telling you in the same way as a pastor over the years, I've seen so many stories where God has responded through prayer and healing. I've also seen so many stories where God has responded in prayer through people who came back to him. Don't give up on them and don't give up on God in it final part of this passage, and we'll just close on this, this passage where the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. I love how he puts it, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. I, I, I love this, the way he applies Elijah, because Elijah was one of their heroes of the faith. And Elijah did pray, he prayed for three years and six months it wouldn't rain. Now you gotta remember in an agrarian economy, that shut down everything economically. It would be like me standing up, I go down to Wall Street and I pray that for three years and six months, the markets crash. How popular would I be? With none of you by the way either. And and for three years and six months, God who's trying to get the attention of a nation that's walked away from him. I love how it said, Elijah prayed fervently. If you look in the Greek, it actually says, he prayed praying. It just meant he just kept praying. He didn't do this thing where, oh, God's going to do his thing. God's already declared it. I don't really have to worry about it. I'm just going to let God do his thing. No, he knew that God said, I answer prayer. I work through prayer. You're my man for the job. And so I'm looking to you. And Elijah took the responsibility and he prayed praying. He prayed fervently. He didn't give up on it but I love how James puts it. He says, yep, but he was just a man with a nature like ours. He wasn't a superhero. He's just a man. And so as you look at this, powerful prayer is unleashed through people who are right with God. He says there's a righteousness that we have to have. If you look in Hebrews, that righteousness comes from Christ, but it's also a righteousness of how we're living. Psalm 66 says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, The Lord would not have listened to me. One of the things Elijah did is he didn't hold on to sin in his life. And so he lived a righteous life, not a perfect life. But he chose to be right before God. And I would just say this, nothing will sap the power of your prayers more than sin that you keep holding on into your life. And so this power that you want to see unleashed, if you want to see God unleashed through prayer, one of the core things we have to be serious about is the sin in our life and go, God, that's why we confess our sins. That's why we confess to each other. I love though, as he puts it, powerful prayer is not based on being a powerful person. Elijah was a man just like us, but on trusting a powerful God. It's not because you're the pastor or you're even an elder or you're a leader or anything else. He just says, this is available to any one of us. And you may look at me and go, Tim, I barely know how to pray. Tim, I never get the words out right. Tim, I'm a brand new Christian in this. Tim, I've had so many struggles in my life. Uh, Hear me people who are honest before God, it doesn't matter where you are in your journey that you go, God, I am not a perfect person, but I'm gonna live my life in confession right before you. And I'm going to trust that powerful prayers can come through a normal person like me because you are a powerful God. And when you make these kind of promises I'm actually gonna take you at your word. I, I would challenge you with all that scripture promises, one of the dumbest things we can do in our life is neglect prayer. And so I, I would challenge you, man, are you personally praying every day in the good times and the bad times? Are you confessionally praying And asking God to to forgive your sins and confessing to others so they can pray for you in that. Are you interceding for others? Or maybe you need someone to intercede for you and you call for that. You know, on August 30th will be our next night of prayer. We'll have a night of prayer where we'll come together and we'll pray corporately. We'll walk through different forms. We'll have elders who are there. So if maybe you need prayer with elders, we always have them available in that. I'd encourage you, mark your calendar. That might be a great night for you if you want to grow in your prayer to come pray with us in this. But hear me, these are powerful promises given to ordinary people like you and me because we serve a powerful God and he has chosen to unleash his power through prayer. Don't squander it, don't neglect it. Don't lose out on the most powerful opportunity that all of us as ordinary people who follow Jesus Christ have every single day. Let's pray. Father, I come before you, I thank you. I thank you for James. I thank you for the power of this passage because he's a man who lived his life on his knees before you. Lord, I I pray for us as a church. I pray for our staff. I pray for me. I pray that we would turn to you fervently in prayer and recognize what you wanna unleash. Lord, you've laid on our heart a vision and a passion for this valley. You've laid on our heart, a mission that frankly, we can't deliver. We can't reach the Bay Area. We, we look at what's going on. It is so beyond us, but you can. And so Lord, I pray in humility, we would recognize this will never happen apart from power that comes through prayer. Lord, I pray for people who need prayer in their life right now in this room. I pray for those who are struggling with sickness. I pray for those who are there in that, oh Lord, moment right now. I pray that they would know that you are near. Lord, I pray for those of us who are in the thank you Jesus moment of all the things you've done. I pray that we would praise you even with our words right now. Lord, we thank you that we could Teach this and pray this and know this because of who Christ is, who has rescued us and has empowered us even now. And we pray this in his name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.